A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. All call signs, this is Whiskey Uniform. What does it mean to be a modern warrior? First, warrior isn't a dirty word. A warrior is mindful and seeks excellence and has learned to control their aggression. It's about understanding leadership, developing individual resilience and seeking consistent human optimization. Remember, lifting heavy isn't dangerous. Being weak is fortune favors the brave and you're never given more than you can handle. This then is the Warrior You podcast where you're the most important mission. All cosigns, ready, 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 ready. Let's roll. Welcome to the Warrior You Podcast. I'm your host, Bram Connolly, and I'm joined today by Trent Bernard, the Minister for Interesting Facts and Figures. <laughs> uh, at time of recording, it's uh, it's a Saturday today that I'm recording. It's 5.38 in the morning, and we're going to be talking about Jimmy Carter, possibly the most boring person in the world to be talking about at 5.38 on a Saturday morning. Anyway, this is the leadership analysis series of the Warrior You podcast where we are forensically analysing leadership styles throughout history, attributing them with a score for different facets of their leadership in the hope that we can find some knowledge, skills and attributes that modern leaders may or may not want to emulate. You might not want to be Hitler, probably want to be more like a Monash. Anyway, like a shower. yeah, that's it. Here we are. Jimmy Carter, born October 1st, 1924, in the rural town of Plains, Georgia, with a population of less than 600 people. And his parents were relatively wealthy, but not really at all. Absolutely stone poor compared to the rest of the society. But as far as Plains, Georgia went, they were... They had a little bit of coinage, but not much. Plains High School, 1937 to 1941. And he grew up during the Great Depression. Devout Christian, Baptist. He was, I guess, characterised as a tolerant, compassionate, hardworking sort of young American guy. Um, And much of those values would shape his view of society. His history around the church wasn't just about going to church either. On a Sunday, it was absolutely uh, his whole life, and all of his values were around uh, were around his Baptist upbringing. Obviously, his parents as well, and that actually, uh, as you said, quite rightly said, that characterised his entire uh, presidency, and indeed his uh, the rest of his life post his presidency. I have no idea why we chose Jimmy Carter of all the presidents of the United States, but anyway, I'm, I'm sure we'll find something um, as we go through this. So. He's an engineer. It's like someone has cursed me because I'm surrounded by engineers. I teach engineers 
my army boss is an engineer, God bless him, and most of the people listening to this are probably engineers, there is a peculiar mindset when it comes to engineers, especially at the top of their game. They are quite awkward with people, I think, in a lot of cases. I've just lost 50,000 listeners. But yeah, he studied engineering at Georgia Southwestern College in Americus and earned a mission to the Annapolis Naval Academy in 1943. He graduated in 1946. And here's a fun fact, which you pointed out to me because you are the Minister for Interesting Facts. He served aboard nuclear submarines and battleships until he then inherited his family's peanut farm in 1953. His time at the Naval Academy, he actually learnt not to speak about politics. He was really one of the odd men odd men out. Mm. Uh, and in fact, he was uh, whilst he was there, he was uh, reprimanded for planning to attend a rally for Henry Wallace. He was an integration liberal who sought Democratic nomination for president in 1948. So he was going to, to be involved in this rally uh, hmm. whilst, whilst he was there. So you was know, it divisive back then, like Republicans and Democrats as well, like red and blue and, and yeah. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And it became more so, which is why he became... Which is why he took on this, you know, peace aspect to the presidency, and he wanted to be peaceful. Yeah, right. Um, because it was it was divisive. You know, we're post World War Two here. Mm. You know, it was it was quite difficult. His career in the navy as well was actually quite successful. Mm. So he was doing really really well, uh, despite being that political, I guess, odd man out. Mm. But he was um, well. He was hand chosen by one of the admirals who who chose him to participate in the uh, development of the nuclear submarine program. So as yeah. one of the op- operators as such. And he was doing quite well. Spent a lot of time in China when, um, when the communists took over China and, and the Chinese fled to, to Taiwan. Yeah, right. Um, so so he, he's got quite a connection and he maintains that connection, normalised relationships with the mm. uh, PRC later on. So he's got quite a connection to that. So, so his, his dad dies of cancer. He... He goes back to the peanut farm, the family home. So he must have served in the Navy during the war. Is that right? He would have been going through Annapolis during the war. Ah, right. Yeah, okay. Mm. That makes sense. Mm. Yeah, and so then the Cold War really is the thing that is the predetermining, shaping... Correct. The aggression. The the thing aggression. The thing hanging around his life at that time. Um, So Mm -hmm. he goes back to the family farm, and then he runs for... Uh, state Senate for Georgia in 1962, which he which he was successful in. Yeah, yeah. That was his second. Uh, that was his second attempt as well. So he he originally ran against Lester Maddox. Lester Maddox was um, the uh, antithesis of of Carter, mm. and essentially, you know, Maddox had become a, a folk hero by refusing to serve three uh, black patrons at his restaurant, and he used an axe handle as a symbol of his willingness to to use violence to pervert, uh, preserve segregation. Mm. And, um, you know, he actually lost orig- the, the governorship to that guy. Right. And then, yeah. he, and so then he wins it and he's the governor. He later. Yep. Yeah, he's yep, the yep. governor of Georgia from 1971 mm. to 1975. So to put it into perspective, he's, you know, young Christian Baptist, Naval Academy, dirt poor, peanut farm, dad dies of cancer. He's around smart, he's a smart guy, he's around other smart guys mm. in the Navy, then runs his farm, goes into like a Senate, which is sort of like, a, well, the state Senate, which is sort of like our, it's not local council, it's almost like state parliament, I guess. Yeah. 
yeah, governor. Go, goes through, wins, ends up winning and becoming the the governor, which is like a, the premier, I, I assume, not yep. knowing that yep. much about American yep. politics. Seventy one to seventy five, and then delivers this this program of progressive social and desegregation, focusing on civil rights, economics, politics across Georgia, and was highly successful. Yeah, so he, his platform was essentially the new Democrat. Right. He was the new Democrat, and it comes on the back of the uh, segregation between, you know, that red and blue, Yeah. the old liberals. This is not unlike yep. Biden, <laughs> if you think about Inde- it. In, indeed. Um, there's a, and then there's, a, there's, a, there's more similarities in here than you might think as mm. well. So he goes on then, just on that platform, Ah, you know, I'll contest the 1976 presidential election. And Gerald Ford was, was running again, and he wins. He beats him. Just. Just. He just, he just wins. And, and that says something about the state of the country at the time because Ford was absolutely uninspiring. Yeah. Um, he had just pardoned Nixon for his part in the Watergate scandal. I'm not like, a crook. <laughs> yeah. He he had just pardoned Nixon for yeah. all of that. Yeah. And and the country had no faith in Washington at all. At wow. all. He spent a lot of time talking to the people. He would travel all over the country and all they said all the people said was we're just uh we just don't believe you. We you you're the only there to uh, serve yourself. Mm. And and you always lie to us. And so that was what he was hearing nonstop. And he actually made a statement, if I ever lie or ever make a misleading statement, don't vote for me. Yeah, pretty simple. He got that uh, strong sense of morals about lying, not just from his uh, Baptist background, but during his, um, during his time at Annapolis. Because yeah. as, you well, as you well know, integrity as an officer you know how do you inspire the loyalty of your your troops mm. as such um if if they can't trust what's right. coming out of your mouth it's the foundation move on to the scoring initial inspiration motivation score and we can we can both we can amend these as we go but i'm going to give them three out of ten gosh and i'm an easy marker um <laughs> But anyway, we'll go into some of the reasons why. So he used his family background, deeply religious, relatively poor, self-made, hardworking farmer, came from nothing through to being the the president of the United States. You know, his sympathy for civil rights, pro-segregation of the South, desired for equality to perceive a reformist, compassionate, sympathetic president. So it was very, it wasn't, it wasn't strong, it wasn't, it was all based around peace structured politics. Think of the time, though. Think of how he's grown up. Mm. You know, uh, preparing for World War Two, going through the Cold War, Soviet aggression. Um, yeah, you know, and one of the one of those key one of the key tasks for the U.S. president back in the day was as a mediator, mm. and he really did seek to revive that grand old tradition of of the US president mediating conflicts around the world. That's yeah. that's how they that's how they used to see one of the main roles of the presidency. The yeah. presidency. So he was trying to bring that back as well. In the end had a lot of people lining up against him because he he wouldn't be controlled mm. by, you know, by Washington and and the machinery that was Washington and he 
and we you know, might talk about this later, but he was that that first outsider. You know, mm. vote for me. I can be trusted. I'm not part of the Washington elite. And how many times have we heard that since? Yeah. You know, uh, essentially that's how that was part of the reason uh, Trump came to power. You know, drain the swamp, those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, and and it was Carter who who first initiated that. Yeah. That that concept, and it's happened a number of times since. Yeah, I, I remember you saying there were political cartoons made of him as well, like depicting him as that farmer mm. always hugging people. And the context of the whole Nixon-Watergate scandal is really interesting. You know, it's an interesting platform and it's a, that he had one of the, 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 the Christian Democrat, you know, hardworking farmer. It's the same platform that successive presidents have claimed since Carter. Even Trump, really. Let's drain the swamp. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. Politically, he focused on moderation, um, placed himself in the centre as a as a moderate compared to the progressive and conservative politicians. So he didn't, you know, he didn't inspire everyone, but he did inspire a, a big base. Um, his moderate stance sort of made him look weak, willed, and out of touch with with a progressive America. You know, I think we, I think eventually it did, but certainly in the early stages, he was. Yeah, he was actually um, straddling mm. the left and right. And that's why I think he ultimately did become successful mm. initially because he was able to, you know, you know, bring the, the two sides of politics together where that hadn't existed previously. And if you think um, about the people we've talked about since, you know, before this, so Atat- mm. Ataturk and, you know, the Shah of Iran, you know, and how fast they were moving to to modernise their country. This is all happening around, you know, 10 years prior and at the same time. Yeah, you know, indeed. Carter wouldn't be drawn into to sort of backroom politics of Washington, which is, which is interesting in itself because that is actually how politics in Washington's played. It is those conversations. He didn't tend to collaborate greatly or, or work with the movers on the belt. And I don't know if you, you know, but he didn't, he didn't even have a chief of staff. Mm. So, so he had nobody managing his time. Mm. So politically, when he was in office, he mm. he was a bit of a he was a, a he came across as a bit disorganised because mm. there was no, there was nobody uh, you know controlling his his input and 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 unfortunately, I think for him, he made he made a a bit of a political error because he made a promise and then of course he doesn't lie uh, and he won't uh, go back on his promises. He made a promise early in his political career to to read every bill hmm. that uh, required his vote. So he would read it cover to cover, every bit of detail. And so eventually, when he got to this level uh, in the White House, in order to keep one of his you know promises, his moral principles, he goes to read every single bill, hmm. and and it was taking up huge amounts of his time. When in fact, what should have happened is he should have delegated that. Hmm. That's interesting. Which, you know, people should be looking at that and thinking, are you efficient or are you effective? Correct. Yeah. You know, there's, that's actually something to take away from that. He, he couldn't back away from that because his moral principles, he'd made this promise, he'd, you know, he wouldn't lie and mm. he forced himself into an area where he had no ability to be flexible after that. Yeah. Yep. And it, w- interestingly, his, the period that he was operating within... There was 
a deep difference between Republicans and Democrats, and he was trying to bring them all together. And again, we've seen this for, from leaders in the past that we've um, been analysing. If you're trying to be everything to everyone, you end up being nothing to anyone. Yeah, and that's that, right. And that was where that's probably why I start, I gave him three out of ten. I think is that he was just trying to be too much to too many, and he was just his indecision continued to be his decision. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. I just wonder if anybody else could have done any better. Mm. Like, you know, we have to. I guess it's probably important to understand the situation at the time, mm. you know, given given Soviet aggression, given the energy crisis, given mm. uh, um, uh, stagflation at the time. Mm. You know, uh, you know, inflation and unemployment was out of control. You know, we'd had an assassination in the 60s of a president. Mm. We had, you know, all this political instability. The, what he took over from, I'm not sure who else could have done it. And maybe he was the right president at the time. I'm not, I'm not saying he was, but mm. maybe he was. You know, just just to at least have a one-term president that just tried to stabilise a few things. Yeah, a post-Vietnam and War if, president probably mm, was up against it anyway. Um, indeed, yeah. You know, some pros, he did have constant sources of inspiration. And, you know, and I know you and I have talked about the whole faith piece. And, and that obviously has a large base of Christian voters. His personality, his political moderation, his international outlook... I guess charting a course for America to provide peace and stability across the world. Yeah, so that's it's all a little wishy washy for me, to be fair. I like strong leaders. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, what leader would have done a better job? Yeah, I'm not saying he's done a great job. Mm. What what leader of any well, era? Well, no, well, you know, it's an interesting question. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if I think if you had someone like Donald Trump there. You know, at that period of time, a person like that, you, you, you're, yeah. I don't think you, someone like that's navigating their way through Cold War and beyond. No. Mm. Um, oh, imagine that. Yeah. So some of the cons, his methods of inspiration, you know, often caused his leadership just to be uninspiring. You know, he's just a flat, boring, vanilla peanut farmer. So. so- so, um, you know, using the terminology that we, we like to use, um, if, you, if you listen, and, and he might be listening now, if you listen to some of his uh, speeches, then uh, you, you find it's hard to, to, uh, to get the energy from his conversations. Which is unusual for an American, for starters, and secondly, for an American president. I mean, we, we see people... We, we tend to see Americans as very energetic when they communicate. You know, Australians yeah. as a culture, we're not. But if you watch Americans when they communicate, you know, they do understand Anima- it. A- almost, a- almost animated. Um, yeah, and he wasn't like that. Uh, but, but, but certainly, uh, if you if you've watched his uh, crisis of confidence speech, uh, which um, you know was one of the first mm. first steps towards ending his presidency, you know, when he's blaming the essentially blaming the American people. Um, you, you can't you can't blame the American people uh, about how much they're wasting. You've got to you've got to really um, tell yeah. them that everything's going to be good and provide hope and and you can have more and this is the American way. Yeah. Um, and and that crisis of confidence speech, the Malays speech, was um, uh, just deeply uninspiring. I have to say. 
two days ago, I had planned to speak to you again about a very important subject, energy. For the fifth time, I would have described the urgency of the problem and laid out a series of legislative recommendations to the Congress. But as I was preparing to speak, I began to ask myself the same question that I now know has been troubling many of you. Why have we not been able to get together as a nation to resolve our serious energy problem? It's clear that the true problems of our nation are much deeper, deeper than gasoline lines or energy shortages, deeper even than inflation or recession. And I realized more than ever that as president, I need your help. So I decided to reach out and to listen to the voices of America. I invited the candidate people from almost every segment of our society, business and labor, teachers and preachers, governors, mayors, and private citizens. And I left Camp David to listen to other Americans, men and women like you. It has been an extraordinary 10 days. And I want to share with you what I've heard. First of all, I got a lot of personal advice. Let me quote a few of the typical comments that I wrote down. This is from a Southern governor. Mr. President, you're not leading this nation. You're just managing the government. You don't see the people enough anymore. Some of your cabinet members don't seem loyal. There is not enough discipline among your disciples. Look, you know, uninspiring. It just keeps coming out in the cons for his leadership. Uninspiring response to domestic and international challenges. Um, uninspiring leadership. Uninspiring looking at um, the cycle of lack of inspiration undermining his objectives. But, but I think he's, he, he did have a vision. He did have a vision of, of world peace and stabilisation. Mm. But a vision, um, a vision is only a vision no, if, you can in, if you can inspire people to jump on it. Got it. And I guess the deficiencies in his president, the presidency was his un, inability to, uh, to transfer that energy to the people. I wonder and, if he didn't have good people around him in, inside the establishment. He didn't work with his cabinet. Yeah. So, you know, you compare that to Ataturk, who was doing a complete reformation. Yeah. He had good, strong, loyal people that would break their backs for it. Mm. You know, and, and, and one of the other major issues was that Carter was, you know, he had ideals, but he didn't have a prioritised strategy. Mm. You know, he was kind of there and he's kind of over here and, and, you know, didn't have a chief of staff to keep him on task and, and those sorts of things. And I think that was part of part of his issue and post-presidency he was far more successful it's not going to shock you then to work out that we we roll from from that into purpose providing purpose and direction and i gave him Mm. three out of ten for that as well because they're linked yeah indeed so carter's main goals for america were to create a more economically and socially equal american and to continue a policy of detente marked by growing cooperation and peaceful relations with the Soviet Union and also repair political stability inside 
America. You, you think about the styles of politics. <laughs> you know, mm. these aren't mm. these aren't capitalist ideals really pushing, you know, forward. These are sort of almost socialist aren't they? So no, socialist I'm, ideals. I'm, I'm not I'm not I'm not sure that that's that's mm. necessarily accurate. I think you know, it goes back to that statement we made right at the start, which was that his, his Baptist upbringing, mm. his belief in, in world peace mm. and equality under God, all of those sorts of things. Mm. I think that is fundamentally where he came from. You know, his, his friends, you know, in that little 600-person town mm. uh, in Plains, mm. his friends were, were all African-Americans. Mm. You know, that's how he grew up. He grew up dirt poor around African-American friends. Um, you know, it was all and only about the community. And mm. he, he feels like he was, it feels like he was a town administrator in the presidential office oh, as, right. a result, as a result of circumstance. He hadn't even finished his first governor, governor term when he ran for presidency. You know, So he'd escalated pretty quickly. You know, in 1977, just wrap your head around this number in 1977 he implemented a 30 billion dollar stimulus package to the united states which created millions of jobs yeah 1977 30 billion dollars so it created wealth and economic stability across the country which was never seen before or since and and he had to do that because of the first oil shock so the first oil shock was as a result of the middle east ceasing production of all oil to the US following their support for Israel. Mm. You know, so you've got to remember Israel had been recently at war. They'd gone through the Six-Day War. They they had been at war with Egypt mm. uh, and, and Egypt's allies. And it was... Um, Thumped them all. <laughs> well, indeed. And, mm. and America had come out in support of Israel. You know, weapons, you know, intelligence support, all of those sorts of things. Mm. So... That was the first oil shock. So there had to be a stimulus because they were consuming more oil than they were making, they were mm. consuming more energy than they were making, and that was the major problem. Mm. Um, and then, of course, they have the second oil shock, which mm. is Iran. Mm. And, you know, we've spoken about that. And that second oil shock mm. where um, the Shah basically convinced OPEC to start charging America at, uh, at the rates that OPEC believed it was entitled to be, you know, reversed yeah. at. And then mm. and inflation grew to 11% in 1979. I mean, that had a ripple effect in Australia as well. The inter- I remember the interest rates For sure. back then people were talking about were in the 20% and, and the like. Yeah, misery index. What do you know about that? So they created a new uh, index called the misery index. Yeah. And it was around unemployment. And there were a range of different factors. And it jumped from, I think, something like 9% to 20% in that time. You know, one in five people were, were miserable. I wonder what would happen if they did it now. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> there were there were there were queues like I mean I'm sure you've seen the footage but there were queues for fuel mm. out you know down highways mm. and and that was you got to you got to remember that that uh, economically the result that they were finding themselves in at this point in time the oil shocks just built upon the reconstruction policies of of post World War Two so yeah. we America had been encouraging offshore production in Japan, in Germany, and in the, uh, the, those other powers in order to rebuild their nations. So it sent 
and subsidised manufacturing offshore. And then, of course, you combine that with oil price rises, and what you've got is no jobs, no manufacturing, high costs of fuel. So in turn, Americans turn to smaller vehicles, non-American-made vehicles, ideally, uh, ultimately, the Japanese, the Japanese cars. So the little Honda Civics, the first of the little Honda Civics, those sorts of things, they, beca- they came to the fore, and people were driving those because it was cheaper, mm. sending, sending more jobs offshore. Mm. That's what Carter inherited. A general malaise. That was his crisis of confidence speech. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah. And so that speech was blaming Americans, was it, really, for, for their own yeah. woes? Oh, absolutely. That, you know, that they don't, uh, they didn't have the confidence to, you know, the confidence to see their way through and, and hold a vision. In that speech, he admitted that his own policies had met with mixed success. Yeah. So, you know, so he's admitting straight to the, to the people. I haven't been that successful. Yeah. He said that in the speech. But, you know, this is also on you. You've got to start buying American. Um, but he did, he did have a number of policies that came out as Like wear sweaters when you're cold. He said um, that. So he's, he wasn't able to repair the country after the energy crisis. They were, they were seen as austere measures over ideologically driven, not pragmatic. You know, his progressive energy policies of renewable energy in the day and energy rationing through Congress just didn't go anywhere. So it mm. continued the energy crisis, made him look out of touch with, with people in the street. He, yeah, he famously made a speech during the height of the oil shortage telling uh, Americans to wear sweaters uh, to stay warm, uh, and you know that cemented the perception of his of him being austere. Allegedly, the the Reagans were appalled when moving into the White House, um, saying saying that Carter's removal of heaters, TVs, and lights melt, made it feel like that the White House was more of a gulag than uh, than the White House. Wow! And, and he's, you know, he's trying to get um, simple guy throwback throwback to yeah. his grandfather's era, probably. You know, Carter. Right, yeah. Stop wasting, stop wasting energy. Mm. You know, put, put, a, put a jumper on. You know, you don't need the heaters on. You don't need your tellies on. Yeah. yeah. Interesting, right? You know, he sought to create greater acceptance of minorities, too, in America. Created the Department of Education in 1979. Um, well, that, was his first, that was his first political job. He actually had, actually had a real bent for education to improve mm. the, the levels of, um, or reduce poverty. Mm. Uh, and his first political role was post uh, his service in um, in the navy, and he became um, he he uh, got elected to the school board yeah. in Plains, and uh, and that's how he started. So he he realised education was the key to lifting people out of poverty. Yeah, and interestingly, environmentalist reforms. So he initiated the Surface Mining Control and Reclamation Act. Um, which protected Alaska national interests as well. Um, he expanded healthcare, created a more public system. Who's that sound like? Got him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Got um, him started on solar. Did he really? Mm. He tried to implement 
progressive initiatives, you know. Decriminalising marijuana. Affirmation action for LGBT community. And but he didn't have control of the, He no. didn't have control of the Congress no. and he wouldn't work with Congress. So right. they were just they were just not passing anything he wanted. Yeah. He he just he just struggled with uh, many of his um, many of his initiatives. But in fact he did cross he did essentially go against his own party to push through some of his um, yeah. bills. A lot of those progressive points that he had, those progressive positions, actually mm decreased his popularity and increased Ronald Reagan's popularity because he was seen as more conservative. Yep. Internationally, Carter sought to foster world peace and end the aggressive international standoff with communism. He started, that was his, he put the first foot forward with that. Yeah, and uh, at, at one point the US wasn't at war with anyone around the world, anywhere. And I'm not sure... It's that, unusual. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure that we're able to... Say that very often, but anyway, no. that's what it managed. But of course, uh, it didn't stay like that. No, and and the Soviets uh, essentially took advantage of that. Yeah, and he negotiated peace with Israel um, in Egypt in 1978. Well, I'd argue that that was probably the most important thing of his presidency. So yeah. right there, I th- underlined oh, he oh, I'd he agree. he got Egypt and Israel to make peace, and that's held because if that so didn't, if that. If that didn't happen, we're talking Egypt is a proxy for the Soviet Union, Israel proxy for America, and the two of them going head to head, and the complete and utter destruction in, of Egypt in the Middle East. Yeah. Um, you know, imagine imagine if that had continued on, mm, mm. how how much worse the energy crisis would have become. Mm. He was pretty weak, wasn't he, in his response to the Iranian hostage crisis, though. That's where anti-American Iranian revolutionaries took American diplomats hostage. Um, and there was a failed rescue attempt, which, which would, you know, we can go into the whole military side of that at some stage, but that failed rescue attempt um, was because the US military were looking at efficiencies, not effectiveness, actually. And they, they, it was a new world era of complexity and warfare of which they probably didn't really understand. And yeah, then, right. and then a, a pilot error and an equipment failure and so on and so forth led to um, that failed rescue attempt. That attempt in itself was the nail in the coffin for Carter, mm, mm. because once that happened, you know he had he had no further support. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know he didn't have support from the people. Uh, it was it was essentially over for him. Yeah, I want to say their heart wasn't in it, but that wouldn't be. I mean, they they were heroes, really. It's just that they didn't understand the complexities of that sort of force projection into another place. And the reliance, the over reliance on, on technology that probably wasn't up to stand at the time. Yeah, it was it was the nail in his coffin. That's true. Um, mm. Yeah, his focus on international issues, you know, saw Americans perceive Carter as overly focused on the rest of the world, um, unable to uphold their interests. There, he he did have a number of successes around the world, and mm. and as we said, the Camp David Accords mm. were were probably the most important. But there was, there was a range of other uh, foreign policy uh, acts that he was, uh, you know, he was supportive of um, uh, human rights. So he changed the focus from Soviet uh, mi- uh, military and aggression to uh, Soviet human rights violations to draw more world attention. Um, the, Carter, uh, the Carter Doctrine, which committed military uh, intervention mm. or military force 
in the Persian Gulf if its interests were threatened. Yeah. That still stands today. Yeah. Um, hence the presence in the Persian Gulf, those sorts of things. Um, there, there, he did have some successes, but as he admitted by his own by his own admission, it's patchy. So, as far as providing purpose and direction, some of the pros, you know, he was able to get political, social, international goals um, over the line. Um, the Department of Education, environmental reforms, uh, international peace, you know, these were things that he was able to provide a vision for, and then and then get people to buy in on. Um, he had a coherent vision for America to be politically unified um, and a moderate country, so less extreme, um, equitable society and, and economic situation. Um, and he tried to project those progressive um, but moderate values internationally. So in, that case, in, in all those sort of aspects, he was quite successful in that way. And it, it was a softer approach that America was taking, but... They were getting taken advantage of, I think, internationally because of that. Yeah. Which is the cons. Um, he wasn't consistent. You know, he didn't apply a consistent approach to everyone or everything. Yeah. And, and as, you, yep. as you quite rightly said, he even outwardly admitted that. Didn't really achieve any major political or social goals locally. A lot of his stuff was internationally acclaimed, but not so much for the American people. And he just wasn't able to. He just wasn't able to build a strong fan base. He wasn't able. Yeah. So, three out of ten for me stands, mate. Leadership style, three out of ten. What? How would you even? How would you even? How would you even describe his leadership style? I'm not sure it is leadership. A very interesting question. Maybe I just don't like this. This. It's not, it's, this style. You know. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Which is also, which is also why it's important to. <laughs> we base our, we base a whole we base our whole business at, at hindsight leadership and resilience. We we base the whole business around leadership being an energy transference. Mm. You know, we want to show leaders that to, to to truly lead, you have to be you have to be exhausted. You have to be out there saying, "This is my vision. Who's with me? Bring people along. Show them mm. the, the the purpose. Give them the motivation. You know." Uh, enlighten people what, with the direction, get them moving in one direction. But he just didn't yeah, do the, that. What's the what's the definition of done? Yeah, he just he just all he did was, you know, he sat he sat there making decisions. Um, yeah, he collab- an, administra- an administrator with an ideal. Yeah, and without providing, and as we said before, he didn't set up a team. There was no teams. It was almost the epitome True. of the strongman leader. From the nineteen twenties and thirties and forties, like I am, but he wasn't even that. Yeah, and I and I wonder if some of where he was effective in the collaboration with the Soviets, for instance, and and the stuff with Israel and Egypt and and the like, if if he was just used by them because he was a bit of a soft touch. I think he wanted to be. He saw himself as the peacemaker, as the gentle, as the gentle man of politics, mm. because. So much of it was not that around the world and in his own country. Yeah. I think he wanted it. But it's just but in that particular role, it's not what's needed. No, and it's not he didn't wield a big stick, even in Congress. True. So he True. didn't he didn't use his president his president his presidency or authority of his presidency, I should say, mm. to, to smack people into line. But 
which is fine because you know I'm not a big believer in using authority anyhow. But the the other aspect to leadership, if you're not using authority, is influence. And guess what he didn't do? He just yeah. didn't influence. And not consistently. No, and his morals, he's so moralistic. You know? And I think that limit. I think that's limited his ability to influence. So he was able to influence where those morals aligned. Um, you know, those exactly mm. where those morals aligned. But he couldn't and break his own the, morals. And I mean, I'm not. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't have morals. But I'm also saying sometimes you, you know, your morals aren't everyone else's morals, and you need to bend. He he wasn't adaptive. Mm. He wasn't an adaptive leader. He he did delegate occasionally. But he really didn't use presidential power. Um, yeah. And he saw himself more as a guide rather than a commander-in-chief, I think. You know, he delegated executive powers to the cabinet um, through the Department of Energy and Education. So he did delegate a lot of his authority. Um, but without clear left and right of arc of how people could then use that authority themselves. So in that way, it watered down his ability to get traction and I think yeah. it was perceived, he was perceived as perhaps incompetent and weak because of this. Yeah, and, and as I spoke to you uh, uh, earlier, you know, he, he would read, you know, all the bills through um, requiring his vote, and he didn't delegate that down. You know, leaders to have adequate influence must prioritise their work and mm. choose the most impactful projects yeah. and issues and leave the others that are less impactful uh, to be delegated. Yeah, and and you know, you know, you've got Nixon's speech, you know, the silent American speech. Let's let's you know rise up, and then you've got you know FDR's fireside chats where he's like you know getting people on his on on, mm. on his journey and vision, and then you've got Carter asking people to help him in the areas that he's not strong in. It's just incredible because he was appealing <laughs> for public help. Yeah, but he had he had unshakable faith. Like he, it was like the disappointed dad speech to listen to him on telly, mm. and and he, but he still had this unshakable faith in American and and global humanity that we would all do the right thing eventually. So and 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 maybe it's just not realistic. So what are the pros for you? For me, the pros of his leadership style, perhaps. I don't know international collaboration, perhaps. Um, and he had he had morals and values. Like yeah. you can't deny him that. You know he did not lie. And that, are we saying that, that perhaps morals and values are great, but they they do not make a leader? It's not the only thing. It's what it's absolutely because if it was, he would have been the greatest president ever. It's but not the only thing. It's how it's how you use those. Morals how other people buy values. in on those as well. Yeah, Correct. I can't give him much, mate. Um, the cons, I don't know where do I start. He tried to bounce from leadership style to leadership style, which which is a failure in itself. Um, it's not adaptive when you're bouncing from one to another when they don't work. Um, I don't think don't think he understood his own leadership narrative. I don't think so he understood he, leadership. He, yeah, so so I think that you, whilst he understood who he was and what he believed in, he didn't understand how that translated to into a leadership narrative. Yeah. Which is interesting because he, he had such a a good he had so much traction as a governor, but I wonder yeah. if he had a, a really great team around him as a governor who were like can do let's get amongst this, you know, and then he then he gets into into the presidency and his administration mm. is just 
he just doesn't have them. He just doesn't have anyone there who's supporting him. Yeah, well, so far I've, you know, as we've gone through these mm. leadership analyses, um, I I just keep going back to Ataturk's team. Mm. Yeah. You know, you know, he had this such a strong vision, this ability to uh, transfer energy mm. and this team around him that was rock solid in its loyalty. Team of and, teams. And belief, team of teams, indeed. Enduring legacy, <clears throat> two out of ten. <laughs> so okay, this is where, this is where I'm going to disagree. Yeah, you're... Yeah, yeah. Uh, his his life after, yeah, the butterfly effect of the things that he did achieve were enduring. Yeah. So I'm going to let you score this one. I, I give him two out of ten because I think he's weak. But anyway, he's noted for his devotion, his moral com- courage, um, didn't engage in backroom politics, didn't talk ill of people, um, stayed true to his guiding principles, yes. Uh, in the early years of his presidency, he did achieve some economic goals. He did repair some of the American economy, as you quite rightly pointed out before, but who else Who else could have done what he did in that operating climate, you know, Cold War, post-Vietnam, the, the you know, we're talking about the oil crisis. Um, so, yeah, mm. I, I, you know, I give him a little bit of, you know, take the heat off him a bit. Um <laughs> Yeah, but, right. but well, well, what do you got? Well, I think, well, I think uh, you know, I've I've spoken about Camp David Accords previously, mm. uh, the peace between Egypt and Israel. You know, greatest uh, foreign policy coup of his um, of of his presidency, and mm. one one of the most important mm. uh, foreign policy results of of you know modern presidents. So I, I have to say it's right up there, um, the Carter Doctrine. Uh, which I've already mentioned, um, committing the U.S. to use force to secure uh, the Persian the Persian Gulf. You know that that is a, a politic politically and militarily unstable uh, area that requires requires uh, assets mm. from around the world to ensure free free trade. You know uh, he is widely regarded as the most successful ex-president. They're right. So. No president has achieved more since being in office than Carter. Why? Yeah, so, you know, you know, he established the Jimmy Carter Library and Museum and the Carter Center uh, in 1986. Mm. And he did that through sheer force of will uh, of, by himself and his wife. Mm. Um, he has supervised countless uh, world elections mm. around the world, both, uh, you know, what we would call state-level elections and, and national elections. Mm. Um, he received the Nobel Peace Prize in 2002 for his tireless efforts around peace and uh, human rights, mm. um, progressing peace and human rights. Um, he continues to build uh, houses for the underprivileged for habitat, uh, habitats for humanity. Mm. But, you know, it's not that there are other, there are other achievements that he, he managed to pull off during his presidency, deregulating natural gas, creating the energy department, uh, opening up Latin America to the U.S., giving mm. control of the Panama Canal to the Panamanians. Wow. Um, he established formal diplomatic relationships. Jeez, with, he he, uh, he almost should have won a Nobel Peace Prize, shouldn't he? Well, why, why, did, uh, why did Sadat and uh, um, the uh, Israeli uh, Prime Minister receive Nobel Peace Prize and he didn't? Well, he did receive. He did, didn't he? He did receive he did, the Nobel Peace Prize. 
for later on in 2002. But right. at that time, in achieving peace oh. between Egypt and Israel, they both got yeah. the Nobel Peace Prize. He didn't. Ah. Oh. So that's interesting, right? Yeah. So what would you uh, give him then, mate, for enduring legacy? I mean, I mean, his, his enduring legacy on the world. Because you know, you know, just just wait one second. Sure. Enduring legacy for the time that he was the president. Two out of ten. Enduring legacy. Got it. For after uh, it's his a, presidency. It's it's a three. It's a three or four during uh, during his presidency, and I think okay. it's a six or six wow. or seven. Six or seven on the world after that. Um, Wish you were writing you know, my PARs, brother. <laughs> after that, after yeah, that, yeah. because because this leadership style has yeah. really only focused around his his presidency. So he was and, a better statesman than a president. Yeah, you you would put you would have him as an ambassador. You, yeah. you know he he would he was in the wrong job. Mm. He was a poor leader for that. This is interesting time. because. You know, Since then, he's been a much better leader. Yeah. That's the difference. And this is what in, this analysis is about anyway. It is about leadership for, through their life, not necessarily when they were leading. You know, I mean, look at Monash. We yep. gave Monash a score for his whole, you know, not just during Gallipoli. Well, I gave, it to, I gave him two out of ten for how it ended for him, but I guess now talking to you, we need to re- reflect on that as well. So to go back, six out of ten then for Enduring Legacy. Happy with that? Lock it in, Eddie. Sure. Sure. All right, good. And how it ended for them, what do you think? Well, you go first. I'm interested to hear, hear, your, uh, hear your views. 11 out of 10. No. Uh, I gave him 2 out of 10. And the reason I did is, you know, he brought in that um, modern moderation of politics. He was really morally convicted, um, not pragmatic, and nor was he um, effectual. You know, it didn't affect change. Uh, economically, high levels of inflation, huge interest rates, massive unemployment, stagnating wages. He inherited that too. Yeah, and, and he put a, 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 however many billion dollar, you know, inject into it and it came back to those levels. Unable to repair the economy internationally. Uh, you know, he, he laid the ground for Reagan and, yeah, and Gorbachev, I guess. But the Iranian Revolution, the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan, the weak response that he gave over those, mm. I thought, mm. you know, didn't didn't help him. So, and that had a ripple effect on the U.S. military for decades. In the nineteen eighties, nineteen eighty election was perceived as weak, indecisive. Well, but you Reagan know, was... won by ten million votes, mate. You know how <laughs> I many? You know that's and back then we're talking that's incredible. Um, I have to. I have to say, I remember uh, Reagan winning. Wow. Yeah, I don't. I do not. Yeah, people were just dissatisfied with him, and I'm amazed that he was able to achieve what he could achieve after that presidency, mate. And maybe that shows that an ambassador, a statesperson, um, who has high moral values, you know, and and virtues, uh, is going to be is going to be highly successful, but. To take that into a presidency without the vision and without the energy, you're just a you're just another person. Yeah, and and he he was. Uh, we probably haven't touched on it that much, but he 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 didn't collaborate. Whilst he collaborated at times, he didn't collaborate for business as usual, and he was a micromanager. 
So from a leadership style, he was a micromanager. And, you know, it's a job that requires uh, building a team around you, delegating specific tasks to those teams, purpose, method, definition are done. He didn't do that. Um, and he, and, he and worse str- struggle. Worse than that, you know, Reagan and then George Bush went mm-hmm. on to lead America for 12 years. Yeah. To show you the extent of Carter's un- unpopularity, people people kept voting against Carter, you know, years yeah. later. Yeah, his his personal conviction and humility was was well received. Like Americans liked it, but yeah. it didn't end well for him as a president. It, but it probably has in his correct. personal life. So he found where he should have been all along, which was uh, influencing the world through through key projects, but. So as let's far as, we'll give him another four for that then. So six out of ten because he, you know, he did go on to inspire. So overall, that brings us to twenty-one out of fifty, which is down there. I mean, it was thirteen to put it into perspective. <laughs> it, it it does take look. He is a deeply divisive president, and yeah. uh, he people either love him or they hate him. So that and, shows um, you that twenty-one out of fifty, Trent. That shows you that being a good person only gets you so far. Yes. Being a good person is great, but you also need that energy. You need to yep. be able to provide people with a vision. You need to build a fan base. That You've got to take them on a journey. And people have to do what you want them to do because they want to do it. And I don't think that was what he was able to achieve. Indeed. He wasn't, he wasn't very inspired. And it keeps coming up the whole way through the research that we did on this. Uninspiring, uninspiring, uninspiring. It just keeps coming up in everywhere. And... You've got to wonder if he had of, and maybe he was a really inspirational person one on one, but if he hasn't been trained to stand in front of a group, you know, I have a dream. You know, if he's not doing that, if if a president yep. isn't doing that, then it's not gonna it's not gonna end well for you. Yeah, um, he read out during the crisis of confidence uh, speech. He 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 literally reads letters. You know, in that, in that very typical seventies. Um, you know, reading letters to the camera and those sorts of things. Uh, and he does that. And he talks about, uh, he talks about you know, these, these leaders and community members from around the country sending him letters. And one of them he reads out, he, he, he says, Mr. President, I just want you to lead us. I yeah. want you to inspire us. Yeah. And, he, and he, he reads that letter out to the people. And so he's, he's reflecting on... The dissatisfaction yeah. of letters, like that's how honest he is. Yeah. Hey, you know, I I get that I haven't achieved everything I wanted to. I get that you don't think I'm leading and inspiring. You know, part of that's on me, but also it's on you. Yeah. You know that that was that I thought was quite confronting to listen to a world leader say uh, to communicate in that way. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. Okay. Hmm. Well, but, let's wrap it up. Carter was the man of the hour for what the US probably needed at that time. However, he could have been so much more effective if he understood uh, being able to motivate and mobilise a nation through inspiration. Um, And that was his downfall. And that's probably the the theme that's gone the whole way through this is uh, he was a great man, a well... He was a self-made, smart christian country boy who didn't go on he went on to become the president of the united states but didn't go on to fully realize his full potential i think because of this one 
sort of character flaw almost. Character flaw or, or just a lack of skill. Yeah. Inspire people, he, kids. But ultimately, he found his niche in the world and has gone on to make the world a better place. Yeah, well said. He did. Yep. Alrighty. Who we got next week? Any ideas? Next week, Ronald Reagan. Right. So we've Taking gone from one to the other. That's going to be quite interesting. And then we're going to get on to Oliver Cromwell. Great. And then Napoleon. Excellent. Righto. Thanks for listening, gang. If you'd like to find out about our parent company and the leadership and resilience training and workshops that they offer, please head to the Hindsight Leadership website, www.hindsightleadership.com. Hindsight Leadership, all one word. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, and remember, every dollar helps, you can do that through the podcast website at www.podcast.warrioru.com.au. There's a donation tab at the bottom of the main page, and all donations are really appreciated. They keep the show on the road. And if you're interested in the Warrior U military preparation course, whether that's just the physical training component or the whole cultural training package, this can also be found through the podcast website, www.podcast.warrioru.com.au. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher.